So, uh, like I said in my kind of opening uh, welcome this morning, um, it's kind of a crazy world we're living in right now. And um, it's, I'm, I'm kind of floored in what God is doing in my own personal life. Um, today's topic, I picked it and I put it in the preaching calendar six or seven months ago. And I just want to go on record of saying that because <laughs> you're going to think this message was picked because of what is happening in our city right now. You see, um, if you're not aware, maybe you're not on social media and you don't watch television, our city has made international news this week. It's everywhere. I'm getting messages from friends and missionaries around the world wanting to know what is going on in our city because it's made international news with all of these people who have come to have their voices heard. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about the idea of being right. The idea of being right. Now, to set this up a little bit, let's have a little bit of fun at the beginning because I am going to poke today. I'm trying to do it with a smile. <laughs> exactly. Uh-oh. People who've been here for a while know when I, when I start a message up, I'm going to poke. Here's the thing. I'm not going to poke. I'm going to let the word of God poke us as followers of Jesus today. When it comes to the topic of being right. Now, again, let's set this up a little bit. Let's have a little bit of fun first. Show of hands. And let's be honest, 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 honest this morning. Show of hands. And at Church Online, just put in the chat if this is you as well. How many of you, show of hands, think that you are a better driver than the average person on the road? Let's be honest. Put it up really high. Put your hands up really high. And some of you are looking at the person beside you like, no, you're not. Okay? Like, I know how this is playing out, but put your hands up. High, high. I want to see them up. Leave them up there. So you think you are better than the average driver on the road. Okay? That's nearly every hand is up in the room. Now, think about it for a moment. When you think of all the bad drivers out on the road, <laughs> we all can't be better than the average driver on the road. Someone has to be the bad driver, right? Because there seems to be a lot of them in our city, right? So that's just kind of a fun way to think about it. Now, let's just kind of step a little bit more closer to this poking idea. Let's talk about the Bible just for a moment, how many of you, show of hands, believe that your view of the Bible is right? The position that you believe about the Bible is right. Okay, a whole bunch of hands are up. Put it in the chat as well if you believe that your interpretation, your understanding of the Bible is right. See, now this is where it gets really interesting. And this is where it gets really fun <laughs> as a Christian leader in the culture that we live in today. All of us believe we're right. You would not believe you are right. Uh, sorry, let me put it this way. You wouldn't live the way you are living unless you thought it was right. Because if you thought it was wrong, 
You wouldn't believe that way. You wouldn't live that way. You would change. And, and the times, and we know where we fall short and we know where we, we're not quite living the way we want to live. We make changes. And sometimes they happen fast and sometimes they take a while and things like that. But you do what you do. You believe what you believe because you think you're right. And now what we find ourselves in is in a culture where everyone thinks they're right. On issues like abortion, on issues like sexual ethics, on issues like gender issues, response to the pandemic, we all think we're right. Different topics of the Bible, end times. We're going to study the book of Revelation in the next few weeks. We're going to spend months going through the book of Revelation. I guarantee I'm going to get angry emails during this series. I know how it works. Okay? But we think we're right. We think we're right about spiritual gifts. We think we're right about what women should and shouldn't do when it comes to ministry in the church. We think we're right when it comes to baptism, communion, membership, all of these things. We think we're right. And the challenge for all of us is, how do we live our Christian faith that way? Living out as right, of being right. And so, because what I tend to see, and we're going to look at this together in more detail, is the Bible calls us, when you have one opinion that's right and another opinion where the person, two people think they're right, how do we come together like this and work it out? That's what I see in Scripture, and we're going to look at this. We have to learn to figure this out. But nowadays, we're like this. And we're trying to push one side to the other and to the other. And we've lost the ability to do this, to communicate with one another. I joked about it last week. I'm no word of a lie. I could show you the, 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 the Twitter that I got. Someone wanting me dead for not liking the book of Boba Fett for a Disney Plus show. They're not even attacking me on my theological position and my view of eternal life. They want me dead because I didn't like episode five of the book of Boba Fett. What is wrong with the world we live in today? Right? And so let's look at how do you and I handle the topic of being right? I want to read for us. And if you have a Bible, you can follow along. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 18. Uh, Luke chapter 18, uh, I'm going to read in verses uh, 9 to 14. And, and this is, whenever I see this part of the Bible done in like a movie or a TV show or things like that, there's been a lot of kind of really good quality Christian um, entertainment that's come out over the last few years. And whenever they do this scene, this scene breaks me. I can't watch <laughs> a movie version of this scene without weeping. Because it's just such an incredible reminder in my own life of the call that we have as followers of Jesus. And so let's look at this. This is Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And again, this is, I think, really going to speak to a lot of us on how we deal with being right. And so here it says in verse 9, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Isn't that a great introduction? (laughs) 
Like, I mean, I, I, I kind of love passages like this. Like, okay, it's now you're going to read this verse to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. And you're going to read verse 9 and say, well, that's not me. That's not me. But how many of you raised your hand that you're a better driver than everybody else? What did you do in that moment? You and I, because I did it too, we made a judgment call on everybody else around us. That I'm confident of my own ability to drive well. I'm confident of my own righteousness, that I'm a better driver than everybody else, and I look down on all the other drivers around me. This passage is for you. (laughs) See, sometimes we look at little verses like this and we go, oh, not for me. That's for you. That's for you. That's for you. But by lifting up our hands at the beginning, I just put us all on the same playing field here. This is a passage for each and every one of us. Okay, so for those people who were confident in their own righteousness, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus continues, he says, I tell you that this man, this tax collector, rather than the other, the religious leader, the religious Pharisee, tax collector, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We get this parable of Jesus, a story of Jesus talking about two different men. One man who thinks he's right. And this man who thinks he's right looks at the other man as the man who's wrong. And for me, this is such a powerful, powerful reminder of the heart and the desire of God for his people. It's a powerful picture of God's view. You see, because when Jesus is telling this story, he's not concerned about right or wrong. He's concerned with pride and humility, Think about that for a moment. The issue here in this passage is not about who's right or who's wrong. The, past, the, the, the purpose here is who's living a life of humility or is who is living a life of being proud and boastful. And so the big idea that I want us to unpack together in the remainder of our time together is this, is that we are called to live truth in love. As the church, we are called to live truth, but in love. See, if you, if you look at this passage closely, look at what the Pharisee is praying. Look at what the words he's saying, because the Pharisee is biblically right. He's biblically right. See, he, he 
praises God, which is a good thing, which is a command of God. God wants his people to praise him, to give him thanks. And he's doing that. That's right. God doesn't want his children to be robbers, to be adulterers, or to live lives like tax collectors. So he's right. He, he's doing a life that's right. God wants him to be generous, to give financially to people, to fast. He's doing everything right. What's wrong is not his actions. What's wrong is his attitude. Even though he's right, he's allowed that to become prideful. And he's allowed that to take away the humility of the relationship that he has with God. Everything is right. What he believes is right. His actions are right. His heart is desperately and wickedly wrong. And all of us as followers of Jesus live on that slope of trying to live lives of right, of trying to live lives according to what we believe is truth. And if we're not careful, each and every one of us in the call to live lives that are right, to live calls that give to the truth of God, can slide into pride. All of us. All of us. Just think for a moment about what's going on in our city for a moment. I mean, I have been a part, like just in the past week, of hearing all the news and all the social media stuff and everything that's going on right now. I've probably, in the last three to four days, been a part of more arguments than I have in the past six months. It's like, oh, I thought we were done fighting. Particularly among the Christians. I thought we were done fighting. Not our church, other churches. <laughs> but there's just this way if we're not careful. Because when you are trying to live a life that's trying to submit to what's right, we easily get offended by those who are not living the way we think they should live. Or the people who are telling us to live a different way. We get offended. And again, instead of trying to figure out ways to communicate this way, we now communicate this way. We're not trying to listen. We're not trying to hear. We're just trying to push and you know, defend and fight and argue. Right? And it's so easy for the church to fall into this if we're not careful, right? The Pharisee is doing what's right in a way until it allows his heart to become corrupted. You and I, if we're not careful, we can do what's right. We can believe what's right. We can respond in a way that's aligned with the teaching of God's word, but doesn't actually hit on the heart of God that comes from his word. Because Jesus is more concerned with making a difference in the world than defending how right he is. 
Like, think about Jesus for a moment, just for a moment. So Jesus, who is telling this story to sinful people, people like you and me, who raised our hand because we judge other drivers and we think we're better drivers, or who think that our interpretation of the Bible is correct, which means other people are probably incorrect. We all fall into this. Jesus is the only human being, yes, fully God and fully man, but he's the only human being who's ever walked this earth who has never, ever sinned. (laughs) Ever. I can't claim that. You can't claim that. (laughs) Jesus is the only one who ever sinned. Yet, in his living out of God's complete and total truth, sinners were drawn to him. Think about that. Someone who completely embodies living this out perfectly and completely, never breaks a law, never breaks a commandment, is complete, total truth. Sinners drawn to him. If we, and I kind of just say this, and I judge myself a little bit on this, if we were living the same way, why is the church in Canada not drawing in lost people by the thousands anymore? Why not? Why are lost people, people trapped in their sin, not drawn to us the same way they were drawn to Jesus? That's a serious question we have to consider as the church because have we become too concerned with doing the conversation the worldly way (laughs) and proving i'm right defending i'm right making you do what i want because i'm right or do we lay down our pride and learn to walk more in a little bit more of a spiritual humility even while trying as best as we can to be right. Again, look at the life of Jesus. See, sinful people wanted to be around him. Jesus didn't make them feel like they're wrong. See, that's the, that's the tension of this. When we have to defend we're right, what we're doing is we're trying to make people know they're wrong. But yet what Jesus seems to do, he seems to do it a little bit differently. He, he, he lets people know that they're loved. He lets people know that they're welcomed. He lets people know that, that God loves them. And he brings them into community before ever talking about their sin. Like we see Jesus again and again and again with all these sinners flocking to him. Jesus went to have parties with these tax collectors. This is one of my favorite examples of the ministry of Jesus. And I, 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 I think I've told this story a few times here before when I was in seminary. Um, I was taking this class, and one of the conversations that we had to have as evangelical, you know, Bible-believing Christians, people who believe, you know, myself, like who I believe in a traditional view of marriage between one man and one woman. I believe there's only two genders, male and female, as God created them. And the question that was posed to us was, would you attend? a marriage of a same-sex couple. And I wrote, yes, I would attend. Why? Because Jesus ate with tax collectors. 
That was the only reason I could defend it. Jesus went to where sinners were, people who think differently than Jesus. So Jesus would go there. So I'll go there. (laughs) Guess the comments that I got, because that was an online course. And one of the students, his response was, I'm going to contact your elders and have you removed from the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches of Canada. And then I'm like, oh, am I in trouble? (laughs) And then we went to the next elders meeting, and I'm like sitting there going, "Eh, did you guys get any email this week? (laughs) Everyone's like, no. And then the next elders meeting a couple weeks later, so did you guys get any email this week? (laughs) No. (sighs) Okay, good. Dodge the bullet. (laughs) Okay. This is when we do this. (laughs) Jesus went and partied and ate with sinners and never gave in to sin. Jesus allowed a prostitute to worship him and pour perfume onto his feet and wash his feet with his with her hair. Jesus went into the city of Jericho and spent a full day with Zacchaeus, another sinner there. Right? Jesus spent time with a woman who went around from man to man to man to man, sleeping around in adultery. And Jesus brought the gospel to her at a well and radically changed that community. See, look at the words of Jesus here. See, Jesus says this in John chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus, said, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's Jesus, loving sinners to the end. And here, these are the words of Jesus here from John 13. Jesus says this in verse 33 to 35. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer and you will look for me just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. Love one another. This isn't very complicated. But, oh my goodness, have we made it complicated. Somehow we can no longer love people who we think are wrong. Why? Because that's the way the world lives. Jesus was able to love people who were wrong. Jesus was willing to die for people who are wrong. You and I are people who we're wrong in our sin, in our transgressions against God, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our behaviors, in our lifestyle, in every ounce and every fiber of who we were. In our sin, we were wrong. And yet God so loved you that he'd be willing to lay down his life and die for you. You see, the church today, I think we have an amazing, an incredible missions field. And we're not going to win people by judging them. 
Let's have another fun moment here for a moment. Just again, and by way of show of hands, how many of you put your faith in Jesus because someone judged you and made you feel really horribly wrong? Put it online in the tech, the chat as well. We get a couple of hands that go up. I grew up in a religious environment that that's what they tried to do too. That they just tried to make you feel guilty, 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 and guilty. And then you come to Jesus, and then you accept Jesus, and then they still now made you feel guilty, 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 and guilty. And I'm sitting there going, where do I see that? Where do you see that? I see it in the Old Testament. I see it under an old covenant of judgment. When humanity tries to create rules and religion and traditions in order to tell people how to live, we put people down. But Jesus came to give life. Jesus came to lift you up. Jesus came to set you free from all condemnation. You see, your sin that kept you separated from God, when you accept Jesus to come into your life, when you turn from that sin and you accept Christ as Savior and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and when you become a dwelling of the presence of God, when God looks down on you, he does not see a sinner. He sees Jesus. He sees a saint. He sees a daughter. He sees a son. He sees holy people. That's why all throughout the New Testament, when Paul and the other apostles refer to the church, you are a saint. You are a sanctified people. You are set apart. You're holy. You're majestic. Not by what you do, but because of the presence of God in you. And we have a message for the world. Over the past three days, Danielle and I, my wife and I, we have been praying for this convoy that's happening in our city. And for the Christians that are there. Because I know there's a lot of Christians there. And that the spirit and the presence of God would change that convoy. That it wouldn't be about anger. That it wouldn't be about fighting. But it would be about the complete presence of God on our Parliament Hill. In our nation's capital. That the presence of God would be felt by everyone else who shows up. They're going to do a time of worship there this morning, supposedly. And I pray as the saints worship in this um, protest that they would actually experience what the apostle Paul teaches in first Corinthians. See, the reason we do this, the reason that we gather this way is not for us, but is to bring praise and glory to God. And Paul teaches when the church gathers, when we do this, the people who do not know God, the people that are far from God, when they see us come before God, not prideful, but with humility. See, worship is a posture of humility where we lay down ourselves. 
And we realize that we're sinners. We realize that we fall short. And we realize that the only reason that we're saved is because of what Jesus did for us. The posture of worship is not, man, am I awesome. Man, I'm so glad. I'm not like those sinners out there. The posture of worship is, Father, forgive me, a sinner. And Paul says when we do that, non-Christians say, wow, God is real. How do we win people? How do we change people? It's not by judging them, but it's by loving them. It's not about showing our pride, but it's about showing our humility. Now, that's a whole other sermon for another day. How do you, be, how do you show people humble and it not look prideful? We're going to go there in this series. But this is what we are called to do. We are called to live truth. Absolutely. The church is called to speak prophetically over the city when it comes to speaking and proclaiming truth. Absolutely. But it must, it must, it must be done with a spirit of humility, and it must be done in love. And maybe some of you are joining us online today. Maybe someone invited you, maybe even someone here in the room with us today. And and hearing about this love of God, this is new for you because you've thought God hates you, God judges you, and you're just supposed to be a good girl, just be a good boy, obey the rules, and then maybe God loves you. That's not what Jesus came to proclaim. We see it in the passage that we looked at here from Luke chapter 18. When you see this tax collector, when he can't even look up, when it says the tax collector stood at a distance, what that means is he's far back in the temple. He's at a distance because he feels he cannot come to the presence of God. Because the presence of God is in the center of the temple. And he stays at a distance because he feels like he's not worthy to come into God's presence. And instead, he takes a posture of, Father, (laughs) God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man, that person is made righteous before God. And so you can do that right where you are from home. You can do that right here in the room, just praying a simple prayer saying, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Come into my life and make me new. And if you pray that the prayer this morning, I pray that you would just let, let us know in the chat. A little pop-up shows up to raise your hand to let us know that you've accepted Jesus. If you do that here in the room today, please tell me after the service. I'd love to pray with you. Right? And so once we do that, right, then we have to now figure out how do we learn truth? Because truth is important. It absolutely is important. If it wasn't important, I wouldn't spend so many hours this week studying this thing to come and teach it to you. I'd just wing it. I'd save hours. I could save myself 12 hours a week, 10 hours a week. I'm just going to open up my Bible, read something, and we'll see what God does. No, it's important to understand this. It's important to know what this says. It's important to figure this out. Why? So that we can live truth in the way God actually calls us to live it. (laughs) It should be changing us. Truth is important. But the deeper I get into God's truth, holy smokes, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting old, but it's bringing me deeper and deeper and deeper into a posture of humility. 
it's bringing me, the more I study the Bible, the more I realize I don't know anything. <laughs> when I was a young man and a young Christian, I used to think I was right all the time, and I felt I had to fight everybody. I, I don't fight anymore, because I could be wrong. I don't think I am. I think I'm right, <laughs> but I could be wrong. So instead of fighting, why don't we listen to one another? Why don't we have a civil conversation over a cup of coffee? Why don't we talk? Why don't we pray together? Why don't we figure this out? And when I talk to non-Christians, my goal with, not, with non-Christians is not to convince them or to judge them or to show them how wrong they are. <laughs> but my deepest desire for the non-Christians in my family, the, deep, the non-Christians in, in my friend group, my deepest, deepest desire for, for them to know I love them. Even though we disagree. Even though we disagree about a lot of things. I can still be friends with people I disagree with. I can still have a meal with people I disagree with. But it takes a posture of humility to do that. So we learn, we grow in what is right, but we let it transform us to make us more loving. Like I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm just going to finish with this. It's a very famous passage of the Bible when the church was fighting and the church was arguing over one of these theological issues. They were fighting over spiritual gifts and which gift is the most important gift in the body of Christ. And then Paul writes this. He goes, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give, excuse me, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. (laughs) I gain nothing. So yes, we are called to live truth. Have opinions. Have positions. They're good things to have. Strive to learn, to grow, to figure out the difference between right and wrong. But guard your heart. Guard your heart because the enemy, our spiritual enemy, would love for the church to continue to live like this especially within the church. When the church is busy doing this, we're not doing much else. And if we're too busy doing this on the topic of the pandemic, on the topic of politics, on the topic of sexual ethics, on the topic of all of these things, we're probably not going to go very far in reaching more and more people with Christ, for Christ. We rarely help someone by judging them but we might help more and more people by loving them and pointing to the one, pointing them to the one who has forgiven them of their sin. <laughs> Cuz Jesus did not come into the world to condemn them. Jesus came into the world to save them. So let's be a part of that. Let's pray. Father God, again, I do pray for the convoy and the protest that is happening here in our city.
And in Jesus' name, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come. (laughs) That you would fill Parliament Hill with your presence and with your glory. (laughs) And that the saints who are there, the saints from our city, the saints who have traveled from far to be here in our town, in our home, God, I pray that the saints... (laughs) would rise up in glory and in praise this morning, that they would just proclaim Jesus, that their praises, that their prayers would be a beautiful incense, God, to you, and that your presence would just be felt by everyone else there. God, I pray that your peace would continue there. And God, I pray for different voices that are there that we would learn to listen, that we would learn to have softened hearts. We would be wise, that we'd make sure that we don't allow the enemy to come in and and cause chaos or dissension. But even in our wisdom, that we would still be gentle, that you'd make us wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. And God, for each of us, all of us who raised our hands because we're better drivers than everybody else, God, help us to watch out for that slippery slope that could easily take us down the wrong path, living lives of truth, living lives of trying to be right. It's okay to be right, but not at the expense of turning into a Pharisee, of becoming prideful and, of, and becoming judgmental of the people around us. So God, soften my heart. Soften my heart for the people who are hurting and broken and lost and confused and just don't even know what truth is anymore. Soften my heart towards them. Soften all of our hearts towards them as a church. So instead of judging, we can point them to the one who forgives. Instead of condemning, we can point them to the one who saves. And we can grow in truth We can grow in love and we can grow in humility together as the family of God. So God, as we continue to worship, fill this place with your presence, I ask. Comfort each and every one of us and build each and every one of us up. In Jesus' name, amen.